0: Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of the Jane Austen podcast presented by Realm. People in England were always visiting family and friends for days or weeks, and sometimes we would visit the lady of the area, like the home of Lady Catherine de Bourgh. We're at a turning point for the women of Pride and Prejudice. Charlotte has married Collins. Jane has come to realize Caroline Bingley has deceived her under the guise of friendship. And Elizabeth has decided to move on from Wickham, who now has eyes for a wealthier woman. We'll have more for you right after this.
1: Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story and it's set in the Roaring Twenties. So beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamor of the time, June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective.
0: This is Episode 12 of Pride and Prejudice. In today's episode you'll be hearing Chapters 28 and 29. Chapter 28 Every object in the next day's journey was new and interesting to Elizabeth, and her spirits were in a state for enjoyment, for she had seen her sister looking so well as to banish all fear for her health and the prospect of her northern tour was a constant source of delight. When they left the high road for the lane to Huntsford, every eye was in search of the parsonage, and every turning expected to bring it in view. The paling of Rosings Park was their boundary on one side. Elizabeth smiled at the recollection of all that she had heard of its inhabitants. At length, the parsonage was discernible. The garden sloping to the road... The house standing in it, the green pales and the laurel hedge, everything declared they were arriving. Mr. Collins and Charlotte appeared at the door, and the carriage stopped at the small gate, which led by a short gravel walk to the house amidst the nods and smiles of the whole party. In a moment they were all out of the chaise, rejoicing at the sight of each other. Mrs Collins welcomed her friend with the liveliest pleasure, and Elizabeth was more and more satisfied with coming when she found herself so affectionately received. She saw instantly that her cousin's manners were not altered by his marriage, his formal civility was just what it had been, and he detained her some minutes at the gate to hear and satisfy his inquiries after all her family. They were then, with no other delay than his pointing out the neatness of the entrance, taken into the house, and as soon as they were in the parlour, he welcomed them a second time with ostentatious formality to his humble abode, and punctually repeated all his wife's offers of refreshment. Elizabeth was prepared to see him in his glory— and she could not help fancying that in displaying the good proportion of the room, its aspect and its furniture, he addressed himself particularly to her, as if wishing to make her feel what she had lost in refusing him. But, though everything seemed neat and comfortable, she was not able to gratify him by any sigh of repentance, and rather looked with wonder at her friend that she could have so cheerful an air with such a companion— When Mr. Collins said anything of which his wife might reasonably be ashamed, which certainly was not unseldom, she involuntarily turned her eye on Charlotte. Once or twice she could discern a faint blush, but in general Charlotte wisely did not hear. After sitting long enough to admire every article of furniture in the room, from the sideboard to the fender, to give an account of their journey and of all that had happened in London... Mr. Collins invited them to take a stroll in the garden, which was large and well laid out, and to the cultivation of which he attended himself. To work in his garden was one of his most respectable pleasures, and Elizabeth admired the command of countenance with which Charlotte talked of the healthfulness of the exercise, and owned she encouraged it as much as possible. Here, leading the way through every walk and crosswalk, and scarcely allowing them an interval to utter the praises he asked for, every view was pointed out with a minuteness which left beauty entirely behind. He could number the fields in every direction, and could tell how many trees there were in the most distant clump. But of all the views which his garden or which the country or the kingdom could boast— "'None were to be compared with the prospect of rosings "'afforded by an opening in the trees "'that bordered the park nearly opposite the front of his house. "'It was a handsome, modern building, "'well situated on rising ground. "'From his garden, Mr Collins would have led them round his two meadows, "'but the ladies not having shoes "'to encounter the remains of a white frost, turned back. "'And while Sir William accompanied him,' "'Charlotte took her sister and friend over the house, "'extremely well-pleased, probably, "'to have the opportunity of showing it without her husband's help. "'It was rather small, but well-built and convenient, "'and everything was fitted up and arranged "'with a neatness and consistency "'of which Elizabeth gave Charlotte all the credit. "'When Mr Collins could be forgotten, "'there was really a great air of comfort throughout, "'and by Charlotte's evident enjoyment of it,' "'Elizabeth supposed he must be often forgotten. "'She had already learnt that Lady Catherine was still in the country. "'It was spoken of again while they were at dinner "'when Mr Collins, joining in, observed, "'Yes, Miss Elizabeth, you will have the honour.' "'of seeing Lady Catherine de Bourgh on the ensuing Sunday at church, "'and I need not say you will be delighted with her. "'She is all affability and condescension, "'and I doubt not but you will be honoured "'with some portion of her notice when service is over. "'I have scarcely any hesitation in saying "'that she will include you and my sister Maria "'in every invitation with which she honours us during your stay here.' Her behaviour, to my dear Charlotte, is charming. We dine at Rosings twice every week and are never allowed to walk home. Her ladyship's carriage is regularly ordered for us. I should say, one of her ladyship's carriages. For she has several. Lady Catherine is a very respectable, sensible woman indeed, added Charlotte, and a most attentive neighbour. Very true, my dear, that is exactly what I say. She is the sort of woman whom one cannot regard with too much deference. The evening was spent chiefly in talking over Hertfordshire News and telling again what had been already written. And when it closed, Elizabeth in the solitude of her chamber had to meditate upon Charlotte's degree of contentment to understand her address in guiding and composure in bearing with her husband, and to acknowledge that it was all done very well. She had also to anticipate how her visit would pass, the quiet tenor of their usual employments, the vexatious interruptions of Mr. Collins, and the gaieties of their intercourse with Rosings. A lively imagination soon settled it all. About the middle of the next day, as she was in her room getting ready for a walk— A sudden noise below seemed to speak the whole house in confusion, and after listening a moment, she heard somebody running upstairs in a violent hurry and calling loudly after her. She opened the door and met Maria in the landing place, who, breathless with agitation, cried out, ''Oh, my dear Eliza, pray make haste and come into the dining room, for there is such a sight to be seen. I will not tell you what it is. Make haste and come down this moment.'' Elizabeth asked questions in vain. Maria would tell her nothing more, and down they ran into the dining room, which fronted the lane, in quest of this wonder. It was two ladies stopping in a low phaeton at the garden gate. "'And is this all?' cried Elizabeth. "'I expected at least that the pigs were got into the garden, "'and here is nothing but Lady Catherine and her daughter.' "'La, my dear!' said maria quite shocked at the mistake it is not lady catherine the old lady is mrs jenkinson who lives with them the other is mr berg only look at her she is quite a little creature who would have thought she could be so thin and small she is abominably rude to keep charlotte out of doors in all this wind why does she not come in oh "'Charlotte says she hardly ever does. "'It is the greatest of favours when Mr. Burke comes in.' "'I like her appearance,' said Elizabeth, struck with other ideas. "'She looks sickly and cross. "'Yes, she will do for him very well. "'She will make him a very proper wife.' Mr. Collins and Charlotte were both standing at the gate in conversation with the ladies, and Sir William, to Elizabeth's high diversion, was stationed in the doorway in earnest contemplation of the greatness before him and constantly bowing whenever Mr. Burg looked that way. At length there was nothing more to be said. The ladies drove on and the others returned into the house— Mr. Collins no sooner saw the two girls than he began to congratulate them on their good fortune, which Charlotte explained by letting them know that the whole party was asked to dine at Rosings the next day. As a podcast
1: network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch.
2: Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But...
0: 29. Mr. Collins's triumph in consequence of this invitation was complete. The power of displaying the grandeur of his patroness to his wandering visitors, and of letting them see her civility towards himself and his wife, was exactly what he had wished for— "'and that an opportunity of doing it should be given so soon "'was such an instance of Lady Catherine's condescension "'as he knew not how to admire enough. "'I confess,' said he, that I should not have been at all surprised by her ladyships. Asking us on Sunday to drink tea and spend the evening at Rosings, I rather expected, from my knowledge of her affability, that it would happen. But who could have foreseen such an attention as this? Who could have imagined that we should receive an invitation to dine there, an invitation moreover including the whole party, so immediately after your arrival?' I am the less surprised at what has happened, replied Sir William, from that knowledge of what the manners of the great really are, which my situation in life has allowed me to acquire. About the court, such instances of elegant breeding are not uncommon. Scarcely anything was talked of the whole day or next morning but their visit to Rosings. Mr. Collins was carefully instructing them in what they were to expect that the sight of such rooms so many servants and so splendid a dinner might not wholly overpower them. When the ladies were separating for the toilette... He said to Elizabeth, ''Do not make yourself uneasy, my dear cousin, about your apparel. Lady Catherine is far from requiring that elegance of dress in us which becomes herself and daughter. I would advise you merely to put on whatever of your clothes is superior to the rest. There is no occasion for anything more. Lady Catherine will not think the worse of you for being simply dressed.'' "'She likes to have the distinction of rank preserved.' "'While they were dressing, "'he came two or three times to their different doors "'to recommend their being quick, "'as Lady Catherine very much objected "'to be kept waiting for her dinner.' Such formidable accounts of her ladyship and her manner of living quite frightened Maria Lucas, who had been little used to company, and she looked forward to her introduction at Rosings with as much apprehension as her father had done to his presentation at St James's. As the weather was fine, they had a pleasant walk of about half a mile across the park. Every park has its beauty and its prospects, and Elizabeth saw much to be pleased with, though she could not be in such raptures as Mr. Collins expected the scene to inspire, and was but slightly affected by his enumeration of the windows in front of the house and his relation of what the glazing altogether had originally cost Sir Louis de Bourgh. When they ascended the steps to the hall, Maria's alarm was every moment increasing, and even Sir William did not look perfectly calm. Elizabeth's courage did not fail her. She had heard nothing of Lady Catherine that spoke her awful from any extraordinary talents or miraculous virtue, and the mere stateliness of money and rank she thought she could witness without trepidation. From the entrance hall, of which Mr. Collins pointed out, with a rapturous air, the fine proportion and finished ornaments— they followed the servants through an antechamber to the room where Lady Catherine, her daughter and Mrs Jenkinson were sitting. Her ladyship, with great condescension, arose to receive them, and as Mrs Collins had settled it with her husband that the office of introduction should be hers, it was performed in a proper manner, without any of those apologies and thanks which he would have thought necessary. In spite of having been at St James's, Sir William was so completely awed by the grandeur surrounding him that he had but just courage enough to make a very low bow and take his seat without saying a word, and his daughter, frightened almost out of her senses, sat on the edge of her chair not knowing which way to look. Elizabeth found herself quite equal to the scene and could observe the three ladies before her composedly. Lady Catherine was a tall, large woman with strongly marked features which might once have been handsome. Her air was not conciliating, nor was her manner of receiving them, such as to make her visitors forget their inferior rank. She was not rendered formidable by silence.' But whatever she said was spoken in so authoritative a tone as marked her self-importance and brought Mr Wickham immediately to Elizabeth's mind. And from the observation of the day altogether, she believed Lady Catherine to be exactly what he had represented. When, after examining the mother in whose countenance and deportment she soon found some resemblance of Mr. Darcy, she turned her eyes on the daughter. She could almost have joined in Maria's astonishment at her being so thin and so small. There was neither in figure nor face any likeness between the ladies. Mr. Burke was pale and sickly. Her features, though not plain, were insignificant, and she spoke very little except in a low voice to Mrs Jenkinson, in whose appearance there was nothing remarkable and who was entirely engaged in listening to what she said and placing a screen in the proper direction before her eyes. After sitting a few minutes, they were all sent to one of the windows to admire the view, Mr. Collins attending them to point out its beauties, and Lady Catherine kindly informing them that it was much better worth looking at in the summer. The dinner was exceedingly handsome, and there were all the servants and all the articles of plate which Mr. Collins had promised. And, as he had likewise foretold... He took his seat at the bottom of the table by her ladyship's desire and looked as if he felt that life could furnish nothing greater. He carved and ate and praised with delighted alacrity, and every dish was commended first by him and then by Sir William, who was now enough recovered to echo whatever his son-in-law said, in a manner which Elizabeth wondered Lady Catherine could bear.' but Lady Catherine seemed gratified by their excessive admiration and gave most gracious smiles, especially when any dish on the table proved a novelty to them. The party did not supply much conversation. Elizabeth was ready to speak whenever there was an opening, but she was seated between Charlotte and Mr. Berg, the former of whom was engaged in listening to Lady Catherine, and the latter said not a word to her all dinner time. Mrs Jenkinson was chiefly employed in watching how little Mr. de ate, pressing her to try some other dish and fearing she were indisposed. Maria thought speaking out of the question and the gentleman did nothing but eat and admire. When the ladies returned to the drawing-room, there was little to be done but to hear Lady Catherine talk, which she did without any intermission till coffee came in, delivering her opinion on every subject in so decisive a manner as proved that she was not used to having her judgment controverted. She inquired into Charlotte's domestic concerns familiarly and minutely and gave her a great deal of advice as to the management of them all told her how everything ought to be regulated in so small a family as hers, and instructed her as to the care of her cows and her poultry. Elizabeth found that nothing was beneath this great lady's attention which could furnish her with an occasion of dictating to others. In the intervals of her discourse with Mrs Collins, she addressed a variety of questions to Maria and Elizabeth, but especially to the latter, of whose connections she knew the least, and who she observed to Mrs Collins was a very genteel, pretty kind of girl. She asked her at different times how many sisters she had, whether they were older or younger than herself, whether any of them were likely to be married, whether they were handsome, where they had been educated, what carriage her father kept, and what had been her mother's maiden name. Elizabeth felt all the impertinence of her questions, but answered them very composedly. Lady Catherine then observed, "'Your father's estate is entailed on Mr. Collins, I think. "'For your sake,' turning to Charlotte, "'I am glad of it, but otherwise I see no occasion "'for entailing estates from the female line. "'It was not thought necessary in Sir Louis de Bourgh's family. "'Do you play and sing, Miss Bennet? "'A little.' "'Oh!' Then, some time or other, we shall be happy to hear you. Our instrument is a capital one, probably superior to... You shall try it some day. Do your sisters play and sing? One of them does. Why did not you all learn? You ought all to have learned. The Miss Webbs all play, and their father has not so good an income as yours. Do you draw? No, not at all. What? None of you? Not one. That is very strange, but I suppose you had no opportunity. Your mother should have taken you to town every spring for the benefit of masters. My mother would have had no objection, but my father hates London. Has your governess left you? We never had any governess. No governess? How is that possible? Five daughters brought up at home without a governess? I never heard of such a thing. "'Your mother must have been quite a slave to your education.' Elizabeth could hardly help smiling, as she assured her that had not been the case. "'Then who taught you? Who attended to you? "'Without a governess you must have been neglected. "'Compared with some families I believe we were, "'but such of us as wished to learn never wanted the means. "'We were always encouraged to read "'and had all the masters that were necessary.' Those who chose to be idle certainly might. Aye, no doubt, but that is what a governess will prevent, and if I had known your mother, I should have advised her most strenuously to engage one. I always say that nothing is to be done in education without steady and regular instruction, and nobody but a governess can give it. It is wonderful how many families I have been the means of supplying in that way.' I am always glad to get a young person well placed out. Four nieces of Mrs Jenkinson are most delightfully situated through my means. And it was but the other day that I recommended another young person who was merely accidentally mentioned to me, and the family are quite delighted with her. Mrs Collins, did I tell you of Lady Metcalfe's calling yesterday to thank me? She finds Miss Pope a treasure. Lady Catherine! "'said she. "'You have given me a treasure. "'Are any of your younger sisters out, Miss Bennet?' "'Yes, ma'am, all.' "'All? "'What, all five out at once? "'Very odd. "'And you only the second. "'The younger one's out before the elder are married. "'Your younger sisters must be very young.' "'Yes, my youngest is not sixteen. "'Perhaps she is full young to be much in company.' "'But really, ma'am, I think it would be very hard upon younger sisters "'that they should not have their share of society and amusement "'because the elder may not have the means or inclination to marry early. "'The last-born has as good a right to the pleasures of youth as the first, "'and to be kept back on such a motive. "'I think it would not be very likely to promote sisterly affection "'or delicacy of mind.' "'Upon my word,' said her ladyship, You give your opinion very decidedly for so young a person. Pray, what is your age? With three younger sisters grown up, replied Elizabeth, smiling, your ladyship can hardly expect me to own it. Lady Catherine seemed quite astonished at not receiving a direct answer, and Elizabeth suspected herself to be the first creature who had ever dared to trifle with so much dignified impertinence. "'You cannot be more than twenty, I am sure. "'Therefore, you need not conceal your age.' "'I am not one and twenty. "'When the gentlemen had joined them and tea was over, "'the card-tables were placed. "'Lady Catherine, Sir William and Mr. and Mrs. Collins "'sat down to quadrille, "'and as Mr. Berg chose to play at casino, "'the two girls had the honour of assisting Mrs. Jenkinson "'to make up her party.' Their table was superlatively stupid. Scarcely a syllable was uttered that did not relate to the game, except when Mrs Jenkinson expressed her fears of Mr Berg's being too hot or too cold or having too much or too little light. A great deal more passed at the other table. Lady Catherine was, generally speaking, stating the mistakes of the three others or relating some anecdote of herself— Mr. Collins was employed in agreeing to everything her ladyship said, thanking her for every fish he won and apologising if he thought he won too many. Sir William did not say much. He was storing his memory with anecdotes and noble names. When Lady Catherine and her daughter had played as long as they chose, the tables were broke up, the carriage was offered to Mrs. Collins, gratefully accepted and immediately ordered. The party then gathered round the fire to hear Lady Catherine determine what weather they were to have on the morrow. From these instructions they were summoned by the arrival of the coach, and with many speeches of thankfulness on Mr. Collins's side, and as many bows on Sir William's, they departed. As soon as they had driven from the door... Elizabeth was called on by her cousin to give her opinion of all that she had seen at Rosings, which, for Charlotte's sake, she made more favourable than it really was. But her commendation, though costing her some trouble, could by no means satisfy Mr. Collins, and he was very soon obliged to take her ladyship's praise into his own hands. And here we have it, the British class system in all its glory. Lady Catherine de Bourgh, who is a terrible snob, is lording it over everyone, making it clear she has a strong hand in Mr. Collins' life and home, and will also have one in Charlotte's. The satire is brilliant. She is completely unaware of how utterly insulting she's being, but we are not. I'm Alison Larkin. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
1: You're listening to the Pride and Prejudice podcast with Alison Larkin, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. If you're looking for another bookish show that isn't afraid to get nerdy, you have to check out the chart-topping podcast, The History of Literature, from the Podglomerate. Each week on the podcast, host Jack Wilson and his guests dive deep into the history of literature, covering everything and everyone from A to Z. And by that, I mean Atwood to Zhivago, of course. The history of literature is the perfect story-loving companion to the podcast you'll hear here on Realm, especially if you love good books and great conversation. And if, like me, you have a towering to-be-read pile. So don't miss a page. Follow The History of Literature on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this show. And tell them we sent you.
3: What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with Season 2 of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Jane Austen Podcast with Allison Larkin is a Realm Original production, hosted and performed by Allison Larkin. Based on the novels by Jane Austen. Produced by Kaylin West and Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio produced and edited by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Performed by Jody Redditch-Ferber and Ben Russell. Musical engineering by Justin Morell. Musical supervision by Marcus Thorne-Bagala. Production management by Devin Shepard. Production coordination by Angela Yee. Cover art by Naomi Cho. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like the Jane Austen Podcast with Allison Larkin by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.